0: Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yeah. and his ice cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast, the fan podcast that discusses and reviews the films of action superstar Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're discussing the 2003 action thriller Detention. In this one, Lundgren goes back to school as Sam Decker, a high school teacher who leads a group of rebellious students against a team of evil drug runners who've entered the school after hours to stash stolen contraband. Bravo leader to strike command. Target acquisition is confirmed. Strike is a go. Repeat, strike is a go. Sam Decker was tired of fighting a war he could not win. So he came home to make a difference. A high school, who would ever suspect a high school? It's perfect.
1: But when armed mercenaries invade his school.
0: target's gonna be here in 50 minutes. However, we do have three more targets, two students and a teacher. And his students are caught in the crossfire. Listen up, there are people in the school with guns. This is no video game, these are killers. How this happen? He is the only one who can stop them. It's like I said in class, the side that believes the most wins. What about the teacher? Crash Course Death 101. He's ex military. He's on the same A team as I was in Bosnia. Mm-hmm. I'm your host, Sean, and joining me to chat this film today is my buddy, neighbor, and major cinephile, Nathan Burt, from his personal blog, Cerebration on Celluloid. Nathan, thank you so much for agreeing to this one, man.
1: Thank you for having me here. I, I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, and, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you here in a minute, um, regarding your, uh, experience with, uh, Mr. Dolph Lundgren over the years, but we should probably, uh, let, Uh, listeners and everybody know that um, I kind of handpicked you for this one, uh, primarily based on the fact that uh, uh, you and I have experience in the education field is, is all I'll say for that one. So I figured that uh, out out of all the films on, uh, on Lundgren's CV, I thought this would be the the most fun (laughs) for, for you and I to discuss.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to be honest, I know very little about as as a cinephile, I, I have to admit I know a little about him and his background and the movies that he's been in. So, um, if for if for nothing else, it was a fun movie to be able to watch, uh, just to be able to get to know him a little bit more as as an actor. I I, I don't know that it's necessarily emblematic of the work that he does
0: in general, but uh, it, yeah. Oh no, this is this is far from being his best. But it is also, I would say, um, it, it, it's a step above what he had been doing prior. And before we get into this, I thought it'd be uh, kind of humorous. Um, as you were watching this film, you were texting me, uh, uh, you know, w- watching it. And I wrote down a few of your text messages because I just thought they were pretty hilarious and uh, and pretty humorous. Um, and so these are just a few sampling. Um, one, I like the corny direct-to-video music. Two... I like that as a teacher, his shirt is unbuttoned halfway down his chest. Three, what is this tunnel going to? Four, this stupid pink haired girl just shot Dolph about 50 times and he was protecting himself with whatever shield he had and she never thought to shoot below the chest. She just wasted all of her bullets. Uh, the next one, what does the bad guy, or excuse me, why does the bad guy have nail polish? Apparently anyone who breaks gender norms must be villainous why would a school have red lights in their lighting system and my personal favorite it is completely illogical that this guy would a quit and not give two weeks notice and b accept a detention session if he was planning on quitting with no notice so
1: yeah i, I mean <laughs> it's it's all i mean the the movie the movie is is silly and the movie has the bad sense not to realize how completely silly it actually is and to take itself seriously. And I think that had it gone for broke with just being a ridiculous film and, and accepting it's kind of preposterous nature. And, uh, then, then it would have been, it would have been more fun. It was still fun to pick apart regardless, but, um, those were just some of the some of the many uh, nonsensical thoughts I had as I was watching the film.
0: Well, and you've seen much worse. I mean you're you're a uh, you're a fan of the uh, of the horror genre, so um, it, it's probably fair to say that uh, this is probably not the worst you've seen. I imagine no,
1: not even not even remotely close. It's <laughs> it's um, you know if if it's I don't know if this is bad or not but i think the worst thing you can say about the movie is that it's um it's not bad enough to be rememberable or memorable
0: yeah yeah. Well, and before reason. we start, before we start breaking the film down, I'm curious, your experience, I mean, when you and I first met and I told you about my show and everything, obviously, you knew that I was a, a huge, um, cinephile, uh, particularly mainly of the, uh, of the action genre of the eighties sure. and the nineties, the big action guys. And so, yeah, you knew that I was, I had a huge, um, immense appreciation for, uh, Mr. Lundgren. But I'm curious, before we take a look at this film, your experience with Dolph Lundgren over the years, if if you could please what uh what have you seen and what uh what do you think of him
1: you know right now i'm looking at his uh filmography on imdb <clears throat> and obviously the only movie of his that comes to mind that i have that i really have any recollection of is obviously rocky 4 and then um creed 2 which i saw back in november when it was released everything else i mean some of these titles look familiar to me but the only other movie of his that I think I've actually seen is Johnny Nominic, which but I saw that back when first came out on VHS, so it's been over twenty years. And I, I truly I don't have I just I don't have any but you know, I take that back. I take that back. I have seen the three Expendables movies. Um
0: Yeah, and I, I think you might have borrowed those from me, actually. I did, yeah. So.
1: <laughs> I saw the first I saw the first one in theaters back in whatever whenever that came out 2011 or 2010 and um then i borrowed the, the last two from you but yeah i mean i'm i'm i i feel kind of like a poser with this i i, I really just don't have i don't have it nearly as an extensive knowledge of background of his filmography as you do
0: well, you know, when we're looking at this particular film, um there's a couple things that we need to uh to establish first of all. So like I said earlier, uh this particular film came after a string of especially embarrassing films in Lundgren's filmography and you have not seen these but I I would I would encourage you to um, maybe take a glance at them. Uh, you know, obviously you can borrow them from me, but they are all readily available on a combination of Amazon Prime and Tubi TV. Um, but the films that Lundgren did prior to this one were The Last Warrior, Agent Red, Hidden Agenda. And these were all films where, you know, granted, he was playing new types of characters, but the films were all just meh, you know. Sure. Um, with regard to Detention, this one, I, I will say... While it is ridiculous and, you know, let's face it, pretty stupid in, in many parts, uh, it does scale things back a bit and it has a relatively accomplished and experienced director at the helm. Sure. Um, so I I would say that it is successfully working with, with what it's got. Um, the director of this film is the... Uh, uh, I wouldn't really call him the great, but he is an accomplished uh, guy who's uh, at the helm of this. Uh, Sidney J. Fury, who uh, took on uh, previous films such as The Entity and Iron Eagle 1 and 2. He also did Superman 4, which that's a whole other story right there. And so I will say, you know, all of those films are not necessarily the biggest budgeted films but these are all movies that are all at least somewhat coherent and so i will say uh one of one of the things this film has going for it is it does have someone who knows how to direct a film behind the camera and i would say that's one of its one of its small merits yeah
1: you know it's really interesting i was looking at fury's filmography while as i was watching detention and going through some stuff and thinking about superman 4 for instance I know that Superman four gets a bad rap and by all, by all means it's a terrible movie, but I actually still (laughs) like it. I still like it. Um, and I never saw that movie growing up as a child, so I don't have nostalgia to blame for it. I don't have kind of the blinders of growing up, watching something, knowing that, um, but still loving it because of the memories that it brings me. I, um, yeah, you can't defend Superman 4 on really on any level, especially when you compare it to the first two movies, but even the third one, which is my favorite movie of that entire series, and I should be drummed out of any sort of film criticism circle for saying that. But the, <laughs> um, Superman 4 has kind of a, an innocent dopiness to it that's kind of infectious as you watch it. But um, when you look back at some of his some of his other movies, um, the one that really that really sticks out to me that's really just kind of this um, this uh, right angle to the rest of every mo- to other movies that he's made is this movie from 1972 called Lady Sings the Blues with Diana Ross, which is this um, really fascinating look at the life of Billie Holiday and uh how oh, interesting this so what was interesting to me to watch while i was watching detention was to kind of look back and think about this guy's filmography and i haven't seen all of his movies i've seen a handful of them but stuff like lady sings the blues to the epcrest file to um, iron eagle to the jazz singer which he didn't really have i don't think he has a credited direction on that, but then something like Ladybugs, these are all very different <laughs> movies. These are all, um, he's working within kind of this like range of genres. And I, so it's interesting because I think he gets pigeonholed kind of as this action director when you're thinking about something like um, Superman or especially Iron Eagle. Um, so it's easy for him to segue into a movie like Detention with. Um, with Dolph. Um, But he really does have this kind of eclectic range of genres that he's working with.
0: You know, I totally forgot, but yeah, you're exactly right. He did um, direct Rodney Dangerfield in the, uh, in the comedy Ladybugs, which interestingly was filmed here in Denver. I don't know if you knew that. I did not not know that. That's um,
1: interesting. I haven't seen that movie since I was, I think probably since it was in theaters. And that was when I was living back in Michigan. So I should watch it so that i can um so that i can be like oh hey i know that site i know that site i know where this is filmed
0: yeah yeah actually you should watch it because it was actually on one of the local antenna stations um fairly recently within a, the past couple weeks and no way would that film get made nowadays why do you say that it is so um d- just the content the whole idea of uh, him dressing up his stepson as a girl to, and a lot of the jokes that they play are, they're <laughs> wildly inappropriate to where I don't think they would play as well uh, today, considering our uh, sensibilities and everything um, nowadays. But, you know, it's it's interesting to to kind of look at as an artifact of uh, what was deemed uh, comical and funny back in the early 90s. I mean,
1: I, again, I haven't seen it since 92, so it's been 27 years since I saw that movie, but I i mean i remember thinking it was funny at the time i'm sure i'm sure that my my sensibility has changed a little bit in the last 27 years however um uh probably not considering the juvenile things that i still find funny as i'm getting close to 40
0: well and we should probably also establish this is also a canadian film um, which is something that, uh, Dolph Lundgren was very much familiar with at this point in his career. Did you pick up on the fact that this was very much a Canadian production?
1: No, it, um, I, <laughs> no, I did not. I mean, I, it, it, no, I did not.
0: Okay. Um, the, the other thing that we also need to take a look at, um, and I kind of directed you uh, to these guys uh, prior to you watching it, um, but this was another New Image production. Uh, Dolph Lundgren had done quite a few films with the, with the company New Image. And the one thing I will say about New Image, uh, I've, I've always had an appreciation for them because I've always felt uh, they've always had a clear idea of the type of films that they're working with i mean nowadays new image is still around but now they're known as millennium films um but they are still churning out the same types of films uh 20 plus years later i mean for example if you look at i know you saw it yesterday but the latest rambo movie yeah. and the uh the olympus has fallen franchise i mean it's really cool to see i mean we talked about this the other day i know uh, briefly over the phone but um canon films i mean that Pretty much new image, millennium, however you want to refer to them, but they were born out of a few of the guys who were working from, uh, who were working for Canon Studios. And then when Canon Studios folded, um, Avi Lerner and Boaz Davidson, they formed their own company. And so it's really kind of cool, you know, just looking at them because in a sense, Canon Films is still very much alive in, in a sense, but, uh, they're being much wiser with, uh, with their, you know with their dollars and you know the type of films that they're producing but it's it's kind of crazy if canon films was still alive today which in a sense like i said they kind of are um these are the type of films that they're getting and we're still getting them into this today that's what i think is is so cool to to look at
1: well and it's interesting i i have, uh the um whenever it came out the white house what's the white house one where they olympus has fallen was was that
0: Olympus has fallen yeah yeah, and then it was London has fallen and then the one that's currently in theaters uh, Angel has fallen yeah so
1: I mean I saw Olympus has fallen which is the only of the I guess fallen series if that's what you want to call it that I've seen um, and it's um, kind of interestingly enough like in the same vein as the tension it's just kind of got this had this kind of a, a, a dopey quality to it that yeah You you can't really help but take seriously or you I mean, you can't you can't take seriously on any on any level whatsoever. Um, And, um, you know, I think you and I have texted a little bit about the new Rambo movie, the new Rambo movie. That I again, that I just saw yesterday really is kind of. Is this is this kind of sad reflection or was a sad reflection for me on on where Sylvester Stallone started with with his career, but especially that character, uh, which is so strong and is so compelling in the first movie and even into the second movie. But um, has just kind of grown into this um, kind of tired hash uh, check cashing system for him. Um, and it reflects the, you know, as we, we talked about as well, too, that those movies reflecting the, 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 the enemy in period, period of which they, I'm not making sense here, but the reflecting the period in which they were made. So back in the 80s, back in 82, I think was when the first Rambo movie was made. He was very much this man who had come home from Vietnam and was still, struggling with the PTSD that he was suffering with back then. And then as the films progressed, like into number three, the enemies of the time, uh, were, uh,
0: people from Afghanistan. I think it was in that movie. Um, um, well he was defending yeah, that's right he teamed up with the uh the afghanistan soldiers to take on the russians i believe in the third one it was with rambo 3 oh, okay. yeah yeah and then
1: um as he progresses and we get into this one the enemies in this one are very social context of people from mexico being the problem and um with this whole idea uh and you know i hate to even mention him and to bring him up but this whole idea of trump and make america great again it's not, uh it's not surprising that a new Ramble movie has to be made um, in order to continue to reflect kind of um, the times in which it was made like the other ones did.
0: Well, and that's one of the things about Millennium Films, um, which is very much like their predecessor, Canon Films. I mean, the, the, this is a production company. They've never really been the most politically correct um, studio to, put, to to put out films and going back to detention, looking at detention, I will say, um, I don't think this is the most politically correct film either. There are a few things that we're going to be getting into with this film that I kind of look at. I'm kind of like, Ooh, boy, I don't, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if that would play well today. I personally, I don't even think this, uh, film would get made today, you know, due to many of the, uh, many of the events, but, um, you know, this is, uh, let's face it. I think at the time this was made, this was Lundgren's attempt at a diehard film. I mean, I don't know if you saw some of those parallels. It, it's a shame that he couldn't, uh, have found a better diehard knockoff script. I mean, that, you know, the, the whole idea of, uh, you know, those diehard knockoff type movies, those had come out, you know, by the dozens in the, uh, throughout the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. We had Passenger 57 and Sudden Death and Under Siege. It's kind of difficult that apparently Lundgren had the, uh, the short straw drawn and got this one, but, um, yeah, this is Lundgren's attempt at a, uh, at a Die Hard film at the time.
1: Well, for sure. I mean, Die Hard proved I, you know, I don't even know that Die Hard was really all that, um, original in its, in its own conceit, but it's still a movie that is emulated and mimicked over and over and over again throughout the years. And that being said, I love Die Hard, but, so the fact that this is kind of a knockoff of a knockoff really isn't really isn't all that that surprising to me. The fact though that the budget really shows with this <laughs> chintziness really shows with this is really um, gets problematic when you start thinking about how it becomes a knockoff because there's really just only so much that <laughs> There's really just only so much you can do, especially given the location and the where the where the movie takes place.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, and if the film opens, I mean, you know, we we can just take a look at it right now. Yeah, the film opens in Bosnia ten years prior. I think that's what it is. It's ten years prior where. Uh, it's it's really kind of they, – they just kind of squeeze this in, and it's very clear why they're doing it. But Lundgren, he's, uh, what, the leader of a special forces team, and they're sent in to eliminate a terrorist target. Uh, Lundgren sees that the target is using a group of children as hostages, so he decides to change the plans, and he refuses to shoot the terrorists and instead chooses to uh, rescue the, the the children hostages. And, you know, he's able to successfully get all of the hostages but he is unable to rescue one right. who a soldier takes and uh, this, this soldier and this child are blown up in an airstrike. And what this does, I mean, we've seen this type of archetype done how many times in films, but what this is doing, this gives us the quote unquote hero with a tragic past archetype, you know, the hero with a sad failed mission years prior. And we're hoping that by the end of the film, his character will be redeemed, which is really kind of ironic and sad considering he has a few casualties (laughs) that are under his command uh, in in this film as well. And I guess in his second mission, right?
1: Right. I mean, you can go so far as to say that the girl that he's not, he's not able to save is his career from the late eighties. And um, as it kind of spirals, spirals down, it's the, the career he's, he's always really trying to get at and to recapture. But the, um, you know, it's the film doesn't necessarily employ it in any way other than as kind of a cheap psychological setup in order to get him into the situation that he's in and get the action running. Right.
0: Well, and once we, once we pick up with, uh, with Lundgren once again, um, you know, <laughs> what we also get, this being a Dolph Lundgren film, is uh, Lundgren riding into work on a motorcycle. And uh, uh, Dolph is now a teacher. He's always no longer a, a special forces soldier. So he's now a high school teacher. And you know, let's face it, it's Dolph Lundgren. So he is not going to be driving into work in a car um, at a high school. He's tough. He's badass, and he's going to be he's going to be rocking a Harley. What is that? That was what
1: really is an that? interesting. What touch. is that a great line that he says to the guy who's flashing the gun at him? Who or he takes the gun from that guy who is trying to intimidate one of his students. He has that unbelievably corny great line that sends the guy running after
0: doesn't he say well once he takes the piece off him he says uh you know the, the, the i think the the thug asked him what do you teach and he said yeah. phys ed and history yes and he says this is phys ed and he punches the guy in the stomach and he says in your history
1: yeah so there you go <laughs> i mean it's it, it's it's outstanding it's outstanding right <laughs>
0: Well, and speaking of writing, I mean, that's an excellent segue right there, Nathan, because this film, <laughs> this film is clearly, this, this was not written by anyone who has worked in an educational setting no. whatsoever. I mean, and yeah, look, that's fine, but it would have been nice if maybe they did some kind of, uh, some kind of research whatsoever. I mean, because we're also introduced to the group of high schoolers who Lundgren is going to be teaming up with eventually in the film. And it's almost kind of, you know, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but it's almost kind of like whoever was writing this, and I probably should have gotten the, uh, the screenwriter's name, but it's kind of like they thought, okay, well, what are teens like nowadays? I got it. They're foul mouthed. So we're going to make these teens as vulgar as possible where every other word out of their mouth is going to be an F word just to make them seem edgy and rebellious. I mean, one character, I mean, I was, I was cringing so bad at these scenes, especially when Lundgren is, uh, teaching that class. We only get to see him teach in class for about 30 seconds. But one character who's especially grading shouts, uh, who gives a shit about history? Just shouts that in class. I mean, you know, not only I know I'm kind of rambling here, but this just offended me so much to where I'm thinking, okay, obviously this isn't written by anyone who knows a classroom or even a, a modern day school whatsoever, but we're supposed to like these kids and not one of them is likable at all. No. So and if your characters are unlikable, then it's going to be difficult going along the journey of the film, in my there, opinion. There,
1: there's nothing that is endearing about any of them. I think that the um, mere fact that the girl is pregnant, or the mere fact that one of the boys is in a wheelchair, is supposed to be the... The idea that or is supposed to lead us to the idea that we're supposed to care about them, but you need you need a lot more than than that in order to care about anything that happens. Yeah, I mean, I just I spent most of I spent most of the movie um, anxiously awaiting many of those main characters to die. And um, (laughs) sadly, sadly, not many of them do.
0: Well, I mean, and it's pretty much it's trying to be Breakfast Club, and I, I get that <clears throat> Breakfast Club for as as being a uh, su- such a classic, you know, film that uh, that many love. I mean, let's face it, what it also does is it pretty much takes you know each a stereotype from every single click and puts them in a room together. But you know, that's also that also has John Hughes and his wonderful writing, and that makes it work. But what this film is doing. It's doing that same thing. I mean, you get a Breakfast Club-esque crew of students. You get... Um, so when we see it, it's four students who are in detention. Uh, we get two rebellious, foul-mouthed students. You get a pregnant teen. Um, you get the father to this this teen's uh, unborn child. Um, you also get the uh, the young, uh, attractive gal who was staying after school to kind of dabble in some illicit substances. And you also get a uh, young teen who's in a wheelchair. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Like I said, it's it's really ridiculous and absurd. Yeah it it's it's it's
1: a terrible movie. I, uh, <laughs> I I can't I can't say I mean really can't say any more than that. It's it's a terrible movie. There's no thought behind it. There's no narrative impetus for anything. There's no explanation for what these people are doing and why. The at the beginning of the movie, there's or after the prologue in Bosnia. There's a, there's a really interesting. There's some really interesting ways that the hammer work and the director kind of set up this idea of school and especially this kind of school as as prison. Um, which isn't necessarily um, a new idea, but it's at least something that would be, that is kind of interesting that this movie starts to kind of dabble in the way that the camera set up outside behind the fence in some shots, um, the way that the security guard has this very clearly um, modeled after um, like a security station within a prison and um that he is in in this building and there are there is a point at the beginning of the movie where i started to think to myself well you know maybe this will have some sort of interesting commentary to make on the connections between um between prison and school because let's face it as teachers we both know that um children often see See school in that way as dramatic as that might sound. but no no
0: I was wrong. No no again, this is a millennium or a new image production, Nathan so we're not going to get a whole lot of uh, <laughs> a, a lot of intelligence there. Uh, but what's interesting, the one thing I want to throw out that I thought was just hilarious is they put in the pregnant teen in the film just to add some dramatic tension because surprise surprise, she's on the verge of giving birth. Sure. (laughs) I I mean, if you were, I I know this
1: is a difficult question to answer, but if you were a pregnant teen and you were in your ninth month of pregnancy, would you go
0: to detention? I mean, no, you wouldn't even be going to school. I would think at that point, right? So, um, but looking at, I I want to ask you, okay, so let's talk real quick about Dolph Lundgren as a teacher. Now, look, The guy's been my hero since I was, you know, at the age of five or six. So I would have loved to have um, Mr. Lundgren as either my history teacher or my phys ed teacher. But what did you I mean, we don't get to see him much in the classroom. But uh, what did you think about him uh, him teaching that history class? I mean, he's not
1: as a teacher. He's not an engaging teacher by any by any (laughs) of the imagination. He is he is a handsome teacher. And many of the female characters make mention to that and comment on how they, (laughs) he's a a fog. Is that what they call him? So, I mean, in terms of being um, interested in what he had to say, he was, he's a handsome, attractive teacher. But in terms of, I mean, in terms of pedagogy, come on, there's, there's nothing interesting that he has to say. However, the script, like you mentioned before, doesn't know anything about school or about students or about teachers or about education at all. It's all just a a backdrop for this kind of silly action to unfold here.
0: Well, and, you know, it's also interesting about him is he's also dating the principal secretary. Interestingly, his, uh, his secretary, uh, this, this love interest character, she leaves the film after barely 10 minutes in, which, you know, her character is just what a plot device to give London's character some stakes. Later on in the climax, because she is going to get kidnapped, but it's just, it's just really kind of interesting because London's character, Sam Decker, he, he's done. Okay. He's, he's, he's done with, uh, with the whole job. He's moving on. And I just thought it was really, I mean, you touched upon this earlier. I mentioned it earlier, but he provides his principal with his letter of resignation that day where today, that day is going to be his last day of working at Lincoln High School. So no two week notice whatsoever. He just hands him the letter. Okay, that makes sense. That that's apparently done.
1: Sure. And then um, <laughs> nowhere the the guy comes and says, "Oh, I know that you're quitting, but by the way, you're the only teacher in this entire school who can do detention today." <laughs> um, to which he begrudgingly accepts the job. But you know, if I were if I were I've been teaching and I've been teaching long enough. I've been in education long enough. If I were to the point where I was like, listen, I'm not doing this job anymore and I'm quitting today, I wouldn't even go teach my kids that day. I would I would quit and then I would just go back home.
0: But I would. What kind of school has a detention on like a Friday night? Don't they establish that this is like a Friday evening? So who is it? What school has detention on? I, I guess that is a pretty good. The more I look upon it now, like, okay, I guess that's a good way of getting kids to go to classes by taking away their Friday evening. But no way would, <laughs> would that happen. No.
1: Now, I, I do have to make the disclaimer that my entire education history, other than this new job that I've started this year, my entire education history is elementary school. So um, these people could be writing about high school and it could be more than accurate and I have no idea. However, it's not. I would be shocked if that was actually the state of education today or back in two thousand three when this film was made in terms of high school
0: well, and here is something I thought was also quite shocking um yeah Sam Decker that's Lundgren's character he has it pretty good because not only is this his last day, he's also able to uh, get it on with his girlfriend, the principal secretary after school hours before his detention shift so yeah. <laughs>
1: like... so there's so there's that curious scene where they're having sex um. I think, is it in his classroom? I mean, It doesn't matter where it is, really. But they're having sex somewhere in the school. And then the other, the girl that has a crush on him oversees them and then walks away. And then we kind of see her every once in a while throughout the movie. But then I feel like I missed something because out of nowhere, we get that scene of her just standing in the middle of, like, on top of what looked like maybe like a sewer grating or something like that. But yeah. Uh, and then there's like a there's a ladder that's leading up to it, but I didn't understand why she was standing there. I didn't even know why she was still in the school. I don't think she was serving detention. Um, I, I, it was com- completely illogical to me.
0: Yeah, no, it, there there's a lot of pieces in this film that I feel were maybe not so much left out but i mean if so if we look at the bad guys actually real quick and we could just go to them right now i still nathan do not understand why they're in the school and i almost it's really kind of interesting because it's i almost feel like the writers didn't really have a clear idea or reason for these bad guys to be in the school anyway and so they just really just gloss over these because it's really just four four bad guys four villains who are in the building um but they just gloss over their entire motive and their reason for being in the school after hours real quickly i literally had to go online and read a few synopses of this to to you know understand it but i mean did did you were you a little unclear as to why um the flamboyant chester lamb that's the uh that's the the main villain here why he his girlfriend and these other two hungarians are in the school after hours?
1: No. I mean, so this is the crux of the, the, the major problem with the film. And by all intent, by all accounts, this movie, as I've said before, was terrible. And there's many reasons why it's terrible. However, the main one is the fact that there is no narrative impetus in this movie at all. There is no, there is no narrative understanding. There is no clear narrative thread as to why any of this should happen. So I, t- I taught for years a film club after school, which was really just for students to put together how movies were made. And I broke it up into um, all these different aspects of filmmaking. And they would take notes and they would learn about the aspects of filmmaking. And then they would um, watch a movie that I thought would... Um, hopefully, if not best exemplify, like be a great example of this. Now, that being said, the first movie I showed them every year was was, um, Ernest Scared Stupid. I get it. It's not a great movie. I understand that. I love the movie. The first thing I always talked about with the kids, though, and what they looked for in Ernest Scared Stupid was this idea of the fact that all Hollywood cinema, all narrative Hollywood cinema, is based around this idea of cause and effect narration. This happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, happens, and this cause and effect drives your plot. It's it's, It's a very simple idea, but it is pretty much an inherent, it's inherent to your storytelling, it's inherent to your narrative, and I can't even believe I'm spending this amount of time talking about this, but getting back to, Getting back to this idea of cause and effect narrative and detention, there is, there really is no cause and effect narration that you can coherently follow from beginning to end. Yeah, these people are in this school and we know that they're troubled, but we don't really know why they're troubled. And yeah, there's these... Bad guys that come to this school, but we have no real clear understanding of what they're doing at this school or why they couldn't have just invaded a, a JCPenney instead of a school or <laughs> whatever it is that they're, whatever it is that they're doing. There's no, there's no narrative thread line to guide you through this. Um, no. Because of that, there's no, there's no really clear. No really clear stakes here. We know what's going to happen. You know that these people are going to come here. That Dolph Lundgren's going to, you know, kick their butts, and most of the kids are going to be fine, and everyone's going to everyone's going to live happily ever after, except for the bad guys.
0: Well, you know, I honestly think that the when this film was in production, I honestly feel that everybody behind the scenes of this one was pretty much intrigued and sold the film on the idea of Dolph Lundgren is a teacher. He teams up with a misfit group of rebellious students against a team of bad guys, which on its own, Nathan, I will say, I think is a cool idea. I mean, sure. Maybe it sounds a little silly, but I think that could work, but I, it just feels like they had that idea and they were like, okay, well, why are these bad guys with machine guns going to be in a school after hours? (laughs) And apparently From what I could gather, and I did have to kind of watch these scenes again, and they gloss over it so quickly that it still doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. But apparently, according to uh, what I read online, their plan is to use the school's auto shop to hide two police vehicles, stash stolen contraband, and then drive away. But that, I mean, but if, 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 call me crazy, but if that's their plan, there's no reason for them to be stalking the halls. Like they are in, in the <laughs> for, no. for the hour that they're in the building, you know. Stay stay in the auto shop. Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, isn't this? Please, please, please forgive me if I have this wildly off, but isn't this essentially, um, like, what is that? What is that? Belushi movie from the eighties. Is it The Substitute? The
0: Principal. The Principal. Yeah. Yes.
1: Isn't yeah, this going like, to
0: mention that the principal? Yeah, I was
1: Red Dawn, or I mean, I I, I don't know. It's been years. both
0: no, of those movies. No, Nathan, that was actually one of my notes. Yeah, this is okay. There's a couple things there that you said, but yeah, this film is clearly trying to be Red Dawn. I mean, that is right. extremely obvious. It's trying okay. to be Red Dawn but for the next era, Um, and also, let's face it, with the Canadian production values and the locale. The big problem with this, I honestly feel, is that, in my opinion, even in 2003, I think the film came way too late. I mean, because I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but the whole premise and the conceit feels extremely dated. Um, In fact, from the little research that I did on the film... Um, I guess the, the script actually had been shopped around and dates back to, uh, 1993. Um, and so I think if it was made back then, maybe it would have worked, but, um, yeah, it just feels really, really dated. And it's also, you know, it's interesting too, because yeah, you mentioned, uh, uh, the principal with, uh, with Belushi, which by the way, I love that is such, such a great movie um and then there's the substitute with uh, tom barringer did you have a chance to check out the substitute by chance i have not
1: seen the substitute it has somehow escaped me all these years
0: you know so the substitute is i would actually put the principal above um above the substitute you know what's interesting about the principal <laughs> is considering that that film came out in the 80s it still plays really really well i mean it is it is still a really rock solid film substitute is okay um but yeah, this is kind of trying to be along those same lines, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't, you know. the The villains within it are uh, are problematic, um, as we've discussed already. But yeah, it is nothing like uh, the principal or the substitute. Even even you know, even Dangerous Minds, I would say, is is better than this. And Dangerous Minds really does not have the uh, the full on action that this one does. But it's really kind of trying to hit along. It hit a lot of those same themes that Dangerous Minds did, of you know, an inner city school and kids talking foul. You know what I mean? But it's just, it, it doesn't uh, have that same um, that same kind of punch that those other well, films
1: did. And the you know, and the teacher that's going to come in and save them all. You've got, especially the the white teacher that's going to come in and save them all. I mean, this dates back well into the 50s uh, I mean, it even dates back. Into, if you want to get into maybe Goodbye, Mr. Chips from the nineteen thirties, or if you want to get into the Asphalt Jungle, or no, I'm sorry, not the Asphalt Jungle, the Blackboard Jungle, and from the fifties. And um, you mentioned Dangerous Minds, but there's stuff like Stand and Deliver. There's um, Freedom Writers with Hilary Swank from the mid or mid first century of the two thousands. Um 187 with Samuel L. Jackson. Exactly, right? There's this is is a it's a you know it's it's so interesting. Hollywood has this great way of of you know partitioning or 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 positioning, excuse me, teachers as these these saints. Um and people go see these movies over and over and over and over again. Dangerous main dangerous minds made gobs of money, Stand and Deliver made tons of money. And, you know, these are supposed to be these inspirational, to start with love. These, I mean, these are supposed to be these inspirational movies that people, that people see and, oh, we, we love teachers and we love how inspirational they are. But then we get back into the real world and we still treat, treat (laughs) treat teachers like complete crap and, um, they're the worst people on the planet and they, they get summers off and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know, all the
0: complaints. Right, right. Well, I mean, and going back to the villains real quick, I just I, I we, we have to take a look at these villains real fast. OK, so the main the head, the head bad guy, again, his name is Chester Lamb. He's played by uh, Alex Carsis. Um The only other film I've seen him in is he actually stars in Lundgren's next film um, that I'll be covering, obviously, called Direct Action, which, oddly enough, Nathan also was directed by Sidney J. Fury. Hmm. Um, but that's, that's a whole other story. Um, but the, the actors all playing the villains in this film are just overacting, you know, completely almost as if, you know, it's interesting because it's almost as if they were told by the direction to quote unquote act evil or act bad. And so I kind of had a theory as I was watching this. I don't know if you would agree with this or not. But I kind of wonder, okay, again, Sidney Fury is a guy who has been around the block, directed kind of a few films. I wonder if he saw the writing on the wall, he saw what they were working with, and he almost decided to play many of these scenes as a parody. I mean, what do you think about that? Well,
1: it's possible. I just don't know that the... I don't think that the movie has the good sense to make fun of itself and to... (laughs) If the movie had made fun of itself or if it if it acknowledged how how silly the whole concept is, then I could kind of accept that about this. You know, this Alex Karsis guy who plays the Chester Lamb character, I was I was intrigued by him as an actor for for at least a little bit of the movie. He is he has a presence on the screen and I think he's an interesting He's an interesting look to him, but you're right. He's so over the top and he's so he's so ridiculous and so absurd that it's hard to really. He's not scary. There's nothing to fear about him. He's not all that particularly violent, which I mean, that seems like a strange complaint. And I don't I, I don't mean to come off sounding that way, but he his character is not necessarily written as compellingly as I think he would like to play, I think he brings a lot more to that movie than what is necessarily written there on the page.
0: Interesting, yeah, because I mean he has this bleached blonde hair, and um, you kind of mentioned it already. But uh, when we first meet him, he's uh, painting his nails at the very beginning. Uh, then, if you look at his girlfriend, his girlfriend's name is Gloria. She's wearing this uh, extremely loud pink wig for uh-huh. reasons. I really don't understand. And then they also have these embarrassing pet names for each other. I, I I don't know. I'd like to look at the script. Well, maybe not, but I'm just wondering how much of this was uh was their idea and how much of it was on paper.
1: Well, it's you know, it's I I already you you mentioned that I already mentioned the idea that oh, this guy paints his nails. He's he's breaking gender norms. He obviously must be the bad guy, but then you look at the girl with the pink wig on and um you know, it's clear that she's the she's the bad girl because her hair is a wild color and she's different. And really, I mean, I think that's the level of the screenplay here that um, we need to somehow physically set these people apart um, from Dolph, which is really interesting because Dolph himself is so uh, you know Amazonian essentially. He's so tall, right? So so built, and um, he really sets himself apart without needing help from other people. But I think, again, the level of the screenplay here is, is these people are bad and you can tell because she's wearing pink hair. And it's, 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 it's an insult really.
0: Well, and I mean, speaking of wardrobe, one of the other notes that I, uh, that I wrote down that I thought was, uh, was humorous real quick. I'll ask you, what do you think of uh Dolph's wardrobe in
1: this one? Well, I mean, the fact that it's, I, like I mentioned before, the fact that he's wearing this shirt that is unbuttoned halfway down his chest, I don't think any teacher, especially a male teacher, would ever wear that in reality. <laughs> um, you know, and then halfway through the movie, it's as, which was as quick as they could do it, they had him, somehow his arm was maimed, and they did that so that they could immediately rip off the sleeve of his shirt to show his biceps, which is fine. I mean it's it's fine, but I think that's that's one of my favorite scenes though is when he's trying to self cauterize that wound that is clearly not like deep at all um, but then he uses the the equipment in the science lab in order to sterilize sterilize the whatever metal rod that he has in order to cauterize his wounds it's I mean it's just it's. There seems like that that border on that border on camp, and you're just like, oh, I want this. I want the rest of this movie to be like this. This is so absurd and silly and ridiculous, and I want I want the rest of this to be like this. But it's all it it just the rest of it just kind of seems like a missed opportunity.
0: Well, here's what I thought was interesting about uh, about Dolph's wardrobe in this one is I don't know about you, Nathan. But um I have to re tuck in my shirt at least four or five times a day. Several times. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh but Lundgren, I personally thought it was awesome that he is able to run from gunfire and do battle with his shirt tucked in at all times. I, yeah, mean, I mean that right there.
1: <laughs> it's just one of the many reasons he's teacher of the year. And it's a good- <laughs> I hope I'm not giving away any spoilers to anybody who hasn't seen this yet, but Um, you know, it's just one of the, one of the many reasons I'm glad he decides to stay at the end.
0: Well, and I mean, okay, so the bad guys break into the school and Decker basically, he loses track of his students in detention and his students start banding together to fend off these bad guys. There's kind of an odd turn here. At first they were all at each other's throats, but then they start working together. And what's, what's also kind of odd is, Decker really isn't even working with the students until the very end. I mean, the students are all pretty much on their own for a good crux of this. While Lundgren is, you know, like you mentioned, cauterizing his wound and everything. But then there are also moments where the kids are once again, you know, at each other's throats, battling each other. It's, it's really kind of all over the place, but you know, I mean, let's face it. We don't really need to go through this point by point, but the film is basically bad guys go in the school Students are running. They find a hiding spot. They evade the uh, the bad dudes. Bad dudes find them once again. They run. They evade the bad guys. I mean, it pretty much goes through that same cycle every twenty minutes, right? Sure.
1: What is it? I mean, I don't even and and perhaps a, a second viewing is in need here, but I don't even understand if the if the motive or if the catalyst for what these creeps are doing is to be able to hide these drugs in this cop car that's in the voc ed classroom well, why are they even going after these kids to begin with
0: well and <laughs> these kids i mean the one in the orange cutoff t-shirt is probably the most unlikable He's which, obviously that's that's the way he's written. He does, I guess, kind of redeem himself slightly at the end. But in my opinion, it was a little too late because, out of all the all the students, they were all insufferable, but he was the one that I was like, okay, this this <laughs> this, this, this kid, I can't believe this is the one of the main kids who's after school. But again, he he was he was sent to detention what because he was skateboarding in the halls at the beginning of the film, and then he's. Using all sorts of profanities in the classroom and and blah blah blah.
1: Yeah, and I mean again, that's kind of the level of of where the screenplay is at. is that he gets sent to detention because he's riding a skateboard in the hallway. I mean, I just I, I I don't even know where to go with that. I don't know what that
0: is for. Because Nathan, this was written by someone who thought, hey. How are we going to make our kids rebellious? Well, we're going to make them skateboarders.
1: I mean, (laughs) that's, yeah. And I mean, God, I remember I was in high school from 95 to 99, right in the middle of the heyday of skateboarding culture, when movies like kids were coming out and Jenko jeans were the big things. And, uh, He is unlike any skater that I knew or was friends with in high school. He didn't even look like. That. Well, granted, it was four years after I graduated that this movie was made, but uh, he didn't even look. He didn't even look
0: correct. Well, what proceeds is basically a ton of gunfire. I thought it was, uh, <laughs> again, adding to the uh, absurdity of it. These bad guys just seem to have unlimited ammo. And they are firing constantly. There is, you know, for this being a direct-to-video film, I, I do think there is a decent-sized explosion, and there is a really cool shot of Dolph running away from an explosion that gets set off, and of course, it's in slow motion. Sure. Um, you know, considering the budget and the scope of the film, hey, I thought—I I mean, I got to look at some merits where um, the film deserves them, and I thought that was—that uh, was a pretty cool shot there.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah it. It's it's not necessarily without its technical merits. Just because a film is lousy on the screenplay level doesn't necessarily mean that the a, a pyrotechnics don't don't necessarily work for it. Um, one of the things that I that I found intriguing that I'm remembering now as I'm thinking back on this movie is that the movie takes place in the hallways and classrooms of this school, except for the auditorium, which is clearly filmed um, in a church somewhere. Those. Right. Yeah. There, the auditorium seats are all pews. Um, and I just I have in, in my entire life with my parents, both as teachers. And myself, a teacher and going into now as a coordinator throughout the district that I'm in going through to all these different schools, I've never, ever once seen a school that has pews or seats in an auditorium.
0: Maybe in Canada. Maybe
1: I mean we're Possible. forgetting
0: that. Maybe maybe high schools in Canada, possibly. That's true. <laughs> but I true. mean, while this film while this film uh, was filmed in Canada, they never come right out and say this is Canada. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they are trying desperately to hit the viewer over the head that this is inner city. This is right. an inner city tough school that is like a prison. So <laughs> right.
1: Um, and certainly I'm sure Canada is not without its, without its, um, inner cities. However, it's clear that this movie is meant to be set in the United States and these are supposed to be your typical inner city kids. And, uh, it's, it's clear that this movie has no concept, not only of education, but no concept of the inner city or actual struggles that these students go through or or any or and it has no interest in knowing about those things.
0: Well, we get a we do get a turn that is revealed in the film. Um we do find out, we haven't really talked about him, but uh Sam Decker's buddy from back when he was in Bosnia at the beginning of the film, uh he's now working as a uh, local police officer. Mm-hmm. We do find out that he is now uh working with Chester Lamb and his goons. So uh Lundgren's uh former I wouldn't even really call him his best buddy, but his former uh uh comrade if you will colleague whatever is a bad guy and is uh is working with those uh with with those dudes i'm not going to say that this took me by surprise but um it was interesting that for this film uh that is fairly paint by numbers in terms of its action to have a turn like this i guess it's not entirely unheard of or or uncommon but that was that was a uh unique little twist there sure I, but it begs the question why What's the point? yeah? They, they don't answer why at all. They don't answer why or excuse me how for that matter. You know that this this officer got in contact with these bad dudes. I mean they they don't give us any of that. It's just I, I, what Dolph needs another obstacle at this point in the film. I don't know.
1: I guess so. And at um, you know ninety eight minutes long, it could have been what ninety five minutes and gotten rid of that minor subplot and you wouldn't really have lost you wouldn't you wouldn't have lost anything <laughs> um yeah and that's again I hate it I hate to keep coming back to this but that's the level of this screenplay is at is that it brings it brings in a lot but it doesn't explain anything and it doesn't um it's not it's certainly not a movie that is trying to leave it up to the viewer to decide for herself or himself uh, what to make of this situation or these characters and anything that's happening.
0: Well, one of the best scenes, we do have to take a look real quick and, and talk about one of the best uh, scenes in this film. If I was, I don't know about you, but okay. If, if someone had never seen this film before, which was you prior to your viewing experience, obviously I probably would have shown you a scene with, uh with Dolph Lundgren, but then the second scene that I would have shown you is the chase scene this This scene is this is something else i can't decide if it is intended to be exhilarating or just completely silly which it is but yeah the student in the wheelchair who is also unlikable we haven't really talked about him yet but the, the 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 kid in the wheelchair um the actor and I did not get the actor's name, but he was in the film uh, Jason X. He was uh, one of the one of the teenagers who who got off in that particular film. But yeah, he is running by one of, or excuse me, he is being chased by one of the armed uh, Hungarian bad guys, and he is on his wheelchair. And the bad guy decides to get on a motorcycle and chase him through the hallway, and and he is able to outrun the motorcycle. Right. Like what what is going on here?
1: Well, and then when the guy in the motorcycle crashes into the pool on the wall, there's a in this high school, there's a picture of a dog from Blues Clues, which doesn't make oh, any, I didn't notice that. Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> there's no purpose for that. My my problem with the handicapped character, it has actually has nothing to do with the character itself, even though the character is obnoxiously written. But I don't understand why they they could not have hired somebody who's actually in a wheelchair <laughs> to play that role. There's, um, it, because there's no reason for this this person's this character to be in a wheelchair unless you are actually going to be hiring somebody who is in a wheelchair to play that role. Um, it's it's uh, silly.
0: What kind of a wheelchair is this that's able to outrun a motorcycle, though, going through the hallways of a school, though? Like, I thought that was amazing. And why did the Hungarian decide to jump on a motorcycle? And that's the other thing. So many questions here, Nathan. How, why did they bring motorcycles into the school to do this drug swap, you know, in these cars, and they needed motorcycles for this? Like, obviously, I'm, I guess I'm probably looking at this way more, uh, <laughs> way more deeply than I need to. But it's it's ridiculous. I mean, d- did they film this thinking that that was going to be a cool looking chase scene? Or again, I gotta wonder if Sid Fury, when he was directing this, he said, "Yeah, this is this is stupid, and I'm going to film it as such and make it well." And
1: that's that's the thing. Like this this would be this would have been a perfect time for the movie to kind of go for broke with an absurdity, but it doesn't. And that is that's kind of a missed opportunity. I think the the film could have earned back some graces if um, if it could have just if it would have just played at the kind of stupid, silly level that the screenplay is written, but would have just gone for like campy, like camp value. For instance. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has all these great lines in his in movies that he does. There are these great, like, one-liners that he just tosses off so well, and they add a level of kind of corniness to his movies. Like, there's that great line in Eraser where he shoots the alligator and says, your luggage. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. It's completely absurd in the context of... Well, how
0: about in Commando? How about in Commando when he throws the uh, pipe through... Uh- through his his adversary, and he says, "Let off some steam, Bennett."
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're they're great. they these great lines in the in the context of this absurdity that's happening, that show that these movies are embracing the there's kind of like the the lunacy of these plots that were expected to that were expected to believe. And if the movie had just kind of had the good sense to make fun of itself and to at least bring some levity and, and humor with this, then um, it wouldn't have necessarily made up in any, any favor for how, how, how poorly it's written, but it could have at least um, added a level of, well, there's at least something here to admire. There's something here to, to um, appreciate about the film.
0: Well, and finally in the final 20 minutes of the film, uh Dolph finally does team up with his uh students and it's 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 really wild. I don't know how they're able to do this, but uh he and the obnoxious angry orange shirt kid, as I uh wrote down, I didn't bother getting his name, but just the, the annoying kid in the orange uh, cut-off shirt. Um they construct this rolling barricade of sorts with spikes on it that they use to impale one of one of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um I, I guess <laughs> Of, I, what did you uh, think of that? Well, I mean, it's a. Of course, it's absurd <laughs>
1: because the the film doesn't explain it at all, and the film doesn't necessarily feel the need to explain it at all. And they have that bizarre scene where they're where the kid is um, celebrating, and he's doing it over exaggeratedly, celebrating that they killed the guy. And
0: I mean, I, I wondered that too. Yeah, because. They just impaled a guy. This guy was bad and sure. shooting at them. He is celebrating that they just killed another human being. I mean No. It's but again, it's it's absurd. But you would think that yeah, a a a teenager would be just mortified at oh my god, but he's treating it like it's a video game. I feel like, like
1: I feel like at any age if I had if I killed somebody, I would be beside myself. But especially as a teenager, if I just killed somebody, even if they were trying to kill me the entire entire, you know, 90 minutes of whenever the cameras are running, I would be I would be I would be terror. I would be terrified. I would be a mess. I would be a wreck. And um, this kid just is seems really excited. And I don't know if that's necessarily supposed to be a, a comment on his. Poor upbringing and uh, you know lousy example that parents had set for him, but the the movie doesn't even bother to give him that amount of character shading. The that uh, absurd metal horse structure that they make is completely ridiculous because it comes out of nowhere. There are no scenes of them making it. There's no background for how it was built. All of a sudden, they just have this thing that has deadly spikes on the end of it and (laughs) use it to, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely absurd.
0: Well, and you know, I, uh, I kind of already addressed it, but I honestly don't think, I mean, especially considering the, uh, the current, uh, the current climate, I will say of the, uh, you know, what is going on in, in, in schools nowadays, I honestly don't think a film like this would get made nowadays, nor would I want it to, you know, just the whole idea of, um, people coming into a school and and doing harm and things of that nature, you know, back in 2003, when it came out, it felt extremely dated, but no way would something like this uh, get greenlit nowadays. Would you you
1: agree? Well, I mean, you don't think, I mean, well, think about,
0: think about something
1: like the hunger games, which is about, I mean, I know that doesn't necessarily take place in a high school, but it's about these kids going around killing each other. And it made right it sold, a baz- sold a bazillion copies of the books. That was just a complete ripoff of Battle Royale and um, The Long Walk by Stephen King. And um, but I mean stuff like that gets made. And you know we like to we like to pretend like we are clutching our pearls here in the United States. But we also we also love we also love the bloodlust. We love a scandal. We love gossip. And so we can sit and pretend and say, Oh, you know, this is horrible. Um, I can't believe they would make a movie about this, but then these would be the same people who would be first in line and wearing sunglasses and a hat to buy tickets
0: for it as well, too. Right. Yeah, no, that is a good point. That is, that is an an interesting, uh, way of looking at it, but you know, within these, these final, uh, minutes of the film, uh, Lamb calls, that's Lamb is the Alex Carzas actor, the, the main, our main antagonist in the film. He calls Decker's girlfriend who left the film. And obviously we knew she was going to, going to come back into the film, but uh, he calls her and he's basically using her as bait. And like I said, this is basically telegraphed from the get go, but basically, yeah, uh, Lamb is using Decker's girlfriend as his shield. So that he can escape via a helicopter that magically appears. They have mm-hmm. connections with helicopters. Um but yeah, he's uh he's trying to get on this helicopter that's scheduled to pick him up on the roof. It is now morning, okay, so it's now daylight. Um they survived the evening, obviously. Uh Decker catches up to him, does battle with Lamb, and is able to uh uh turn Lamb just in time so that it's him who gets shot by the guy in the helicopter, picking mm-hmm. Lamb up. I guess, right? Yep. And then, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I had to kind of laugh at this part. Uh, Decker, being the badass that he is, the badass soldier and the teacher that he is, he is able to shoot the pilot and everyone in the helicopter sending it to the ground in a big explosion.
1: In a big explosion that you don't actually see happening. You, the film um, cuts back to almost a character level view from the rooftop so it's obstructed and really all you see is this explosion that is you assume that the helicopter has exploded down there but you don't see any of the aftermath of it you don't see the helicopter actually crashing into the ground it's it was a it was an interesting wise choice for the filmmakers on the budget that they had and, and yeah. <laughs> to do this
0: well and the film ends on a somewhat somber note i mean they they're pretty much uh... You know, if you want to look at the, uh, the classic plot structure or plot diagram of the film, I mean, this is resolution, you know, entirely. And they are tying up every single thread as, you know, neatly as they possibly can in these final uh, few minutes. But yeah, it kind of, there's some somber, uh, some somber moments here. There's been a few casualties, which the film does take time to honor, uh, the pregnant teenager and her boyfriend head to the hospital, where she's ready to go into labor and suddenly he's ready to be a father, mm-hmm. which he, he wasn't ready for at the beginning, but now he is. The principal who we saw earlier in the film is outside of the school. I thought this was a uh, kind of odd. He just, he just pops back up again. You think being a principal finding out that your uh, school was, you know, all this mayhem happened the, the evening before he would be a little more panicked, but he's just standing outside of the school. And <laughs> I thought, you know, look, th- this is Dolph and Dolph plays it extremely well, but I loved it here. Sam declares, okay. So this is Lundgren's character. He declares to the principal that he is going to report back to work on Monday, thus ignoring his resignation. And the film just ends with some awful soft metal rock music. I would say yeah. <laughs> that's it.
1: Yeah. And, um, what the principal was doing at the school on a Saturday morning. I don't know what he could have done in order to help with that situation that the police were now wrapping up conveniently after everyone was dead. I don't know. Um, it, yeah, and I mean, there's really no other way for that movie to end other than yeah, it's it's a it's an ending cribbed directly from Kindergarten Cop, right? That <laughs> I, which I mean, coincidentally, Dolph. Is in the second one, right? Right. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger beats the bad guy, is in hospital recovery, and then the movie ends with him back in that super corny, um, over dramatic music, where he blows the whistles, and the kids look up and see that it's him, and he's a teacher for life now. And
0: you know, but that scene works. I, I not to interrupt you, but as cheesy it is, I will still say that that scene works for for being a resolution moment. It it it's a. uh, it's a very touching moment.
1: I, I love that movie. I absolutely love that movie. It is um, the whole idea of it shouldn't work and it does. I think it works largely in part due to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love that movie and I think the ending is the ending is a great is a great piece of corn. It's wonderful.
0: Well, and you know, we were talking earlier about the substitute. Um, which again, substitute is on uh, Amazon Prime. I highly recommend you tomorrow, Nathan. Um, if you have uh, if you have nothing going on, you should check it out. But yeah, the substitute with Tom Berenger. You know, like I said, it's not great. Um, but the film does tackle many of the similar themes that, uh, detention does. I will say it does come off a little better. I, again, I, I still would put principle above the substitute, but, um, the thing that I really like about the substitute that maybe they could have done with this one. And obviously maybe they, they couldn't have done it with this one because then it would be copying it. But the thing that's cool about substitute is, um, the main threat or the main antagonist, I mean, spoiler, uh, here here I told you to check it out tomorrow and I'm going to spoil it, but it's still worth checking out. Uh but we find out at the end the main threat in the film is the principal uh of the movie. So the the threat um, that was uh that Tom Beringer was facing throughout the entire film was actually coming internally within the building. And you know, the principal in the film is played by Ernie Hudson, which who is an imposing Intimidating uh, a presence in the film, and you know what, it works. You know, it, it's it's a little it's a little silly, it's a little absurd, sure, but um, in the context of that film, it works, and it uh, it comes off as a uh, as a nice twist. It
1: reminds me of a variation of the the call is coming from inside the house theme,
0: right? I mean, it's exactly like that. Um, but you know, I will say before I have you give your your recommendation, uh, Nathan, I will say this film is. I would say that this film is a interesting launch pad and it's an interesting pin in Lundgren's entire filmography. I mean, and you you said it earlier, you were looking at his IMDB. The guy has tons of credits to his name. But I would put me personally, I would put a pin on this particular film because we do have this film to thank for Dolph taking on uh, the director role in many of his upcoming films. Basically, um, I don't know if you read up on this or you saw this or not, but basically, during the making of *The Tension*, uh, director Sidney Fury he saw that Dolph was inter- interested in directing himself. Lundgren had done so many films, uh, you know, during his career, and by this point, he was extremely interested in directing. And so, what Sid Fury kind of did, uh, basically, from what I understand, is he took Lundgren under his wing, and he helped show him the ropes uh, when it came to directing. Um, They teamed up once more on Dolph's next film, which is direct action, and then they were slated to work together once again on a film called The Defender. But then Fury became ill, so Lundgren stepped up to direct. And so, in a sense, love it, hate it, loathe it, whatever you – however you think about detention, we do have detention to thank for – for Dolph's films where he worked as both a director and a star, because I would say, had it not been for this film and had it not been for his partnership with, uh, Sydney Fury, um, I don't know if we would have gotten films such as the defender or the Russian specialist, uh, command performance, Icarus. These are all films that Lundgren directed. And I would say that a few of those are some of his best. And I know that you have not seen those, but, um, the film that we, that we talked about today, the tension, I know this is, not one of his best films, but I'd be happy to loan you any of those films that I just mentioned, because I would say that those are primo Dolph at his absolute excellence. Well, so I would be interested in
1: watching some more of his films, because he really does have he has a striking look about him. He has a really commanding presence on the screen. He is an interesting person to watch. And look at on the screen, and to kind of see how other people react to him. Um, Looking at his filmography again, I haven't—I even even heard of most of these, let alone seen them. But it's—I feel like, given the, given the right material, he could really, really emerge as a really interesting actor. He was. He was compelling, to say the least, in Creed II. Um, I thought his not only was his character written really well, but it was interesting for him to see for me to see him kind of pick up that same character again and to have a character that, you know, most of the people going to see that movie would know. And um, would be would want to kind of see how that character has evolved over the years. And he has that presence and he has that command that I think given the right material, I don't think the guy's ever going to win any Oscars or anything like that. But given the right material, I think he could really make a really good movie.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. I,
1: I don't I don't I don't mean to say that all of his movies are crap or anything like that. Again, I've only seen a handful of them. Um, but I think he is I think he is better than the material that most most people try to give him.
0: And he has, I mean to his credit, he has made um some real gems throughout his filmography. I mean, you know, we could when we when we're done chatting, uh, I'd be happy to go through <laughs> his filmography and tell you which ones are are excellent and which ones you could pass and which ones are mediocre. But you know, what's interesting is like any actor, not every film is going to be a, uh, is going to be a home run. You know what I mean? And many of the films, again, like any actor, he's going to take on a few roles purely for the paycheck to kind of get financing to do another film or his other pet project. I mean, because at the end of the day, like all actors but you know as much as we idolize them and look up to them this is their job just like you mm-hmm. and I have our you know respective jobs they're punching a the clock and going in and uh and doing their and doing their job as well it's probably a, maybe a little more glamorous in, in some respects but, I mean, but um, you know as a teacher yeah, you it. know as a
1: teacher some days as a teacher are great and other days you are watching the clock waiting for it to end because you can't believe
0: um, you can't believe what you've done that day. So, oh, especially on a uh, on a Friday evening, if I had to do detention. Oh my god! Right? It w- <laughs> okay, so I I think I kind of have an idea of where you're going to go with this. But uh, Nathan, does detention get a recommend from you? Not just as a Dolph Lundgren film, but as a film in general. What do you think? Would you recommend? This I movie? would. Um, I would have to say pass on this movie. I
1: apologize. No, I, I there's there's very little that I can that I could point to in this movie that I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting.
0: All right, well said. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's about you know, it. I'm I, sorry. I will say this. That's okay. You know, I will say this. Uh, the film is ridiculous, and there are plenty of moments where you cannot help but be appalled at how banal the dialogue is, not just from the teenagers, but from the villains themselves. There are many parts in this film that are just utterly embarrassing. Uh, Like I said earlier, the entire script and conceit comes way too late and feels like this was something intended for the early 90s, which it was. So I would say if you can go into it, knowing all of that, then I think there is some fun to be had here. Um, It's not one of Dolph's better movies, not by a long shot, but it is a fine change of pace for Dolph because... For once, you know, again, going back to the previous films that he had done, he does appear somewhat invested here, which can't be said for his previous efforts. I almost think that uh, Sid Fury um and Dolph saw the script and just said, you know, Dolph hasn't fired a machine gun in quite a while. Let's have Dolph do what audiences enjoy watching him do. It's odd that we get a return to form in a film where he plays an ass-kicking teacher. But you know what? I'll, I'll take what I can get. So... I would say for Dolph, Dolph completists only really are, I think are probably pretty much going to be the only camp that is going to check this out. Um, I would say sure, but it's a very low, low, low recommend. Right. So, uh, but yeah, but before I let you go, um, we mentioned it early at the beginning of the episode, but, uh, yeah, tell us real quick about, uh, your blog. I've been on there quite a few times. It is wonderful. Uh, Cerebration on celluloid, yeah,
1: right? I, um, you know, it's been forever since I've actually written in there. I'm I'm actually starting to write a piece right now. I started it back in July on um, my favorite films of this last decade, and um, it won't be obviously posted for another few months because there's still a few months left of 2019. But um, it's not a it's not a, a blog that I update regularly as um, life oftentimes gets in the way, but. There are there are times where I just feel really compelled to write about a movie, and that's really where I'll, where I'll find where I'll where I'll vent that or that or on just my regular Facebook
0: page. Where is your review for Detention? You didn't feel compelled to uh, to include a review for I, that one, huh? All uh, right, you know,
1: I, I just I I got busy. I had to wash my hair and. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I forgot. It's it's coming now.
0: Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Nathan, uh, thank you very, very much. Um, obviously, we'll be uh, talking again here soon, but um, uh, I do appreciate this. Uh, like I said, I know that this was not um, a film that was at the top of your list, but what's interesting is uh, we should probably also let listeners know you, you do log every single film that you've ever seen, and this was I don't remember the exact number, but wasn't this like your four thousand three hundred and ninety third film you ever 000, watched?
1: 4,399. That, right? 4, that, was,
0: that okay. was just before
1: forty four hundred, so it'll have it'll have some sort of distinction for me, but I just saw um Joker this afternoon, which was four thousand four hundred and eight. So in the last I've nice. seen since I saw Detention, I've seen nine movies. So, well,
0: congratulations that uh, that's quite the accomplishment. That, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, well, again, Nathan, thank you so so much. I do appreciate it. Uh, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. We always appreciate the reviews. And seeing as how the film Detention ended with the song uh, Head Down by the band Phibo, I've never heard of Phibo, but um, yeah, the, the film Detention does end with this particular track. I felt it was only fitting to end the episode with this very track. So, for your listening pleasure, as a sample of the song Head Down by Febo. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.